All right, today we're gonna to talk about the top investing articles that we captured and summarized and also our original investing content and podcasts on Valeria's Guru Investor blog for the week of February 14th, 2021. And to Jack, uh, let's start with you and why don't you kind of walk us through the market valuation article and what the key findings were, I guess, in, in that piece. Yeah, the market's had such a huge run here from the bottom, you know, since March 26th of 2020. It's, you know, we were up so much. I thought it would be a good time to use our market valuation tool in Validia and maybe revisit how expensive is the market, what's what's going on relatively behind the scenes. So that, that's what I wanted to do with the article. And and by the way, if our, our market valuation tool is mostly free. So if anybody wants to use it, it's validia.com slash market dash valuation. You can see it. But And what we do with the tool is a little bit different than what you usually see with market valuation because with market valuation, you usually see like market cap weighted averages, basically. So if I'm trying to figure out how expensive the S&P 500 is, Facebook is much more important to that valuation than the 500th stock in there. So when if you want to look at the overall valuation of the market, you want to look at something like that that takes that into account. Ours is a little bit different because we, we try to use a an equal universe of all stocks. And so what we use is the median. So what we do is we rank every single stock based on their valuation. We pick the one that's right in the middle, and then we track that over time. So we're looking at how the median valuation of a stock is changing over time. And so what this shows, and I, and I highlight this in the article, is obviously what you'd expect after the, a big run in the market, which is your average stock is very, very expensive right now. I mean, it's anywhere, depending on whether you use PE or price to book or price to cash flow, I mean, it's anywhere from the 90th percentile to the 100th percentile or the 99th percentile. So the market's become very expensive. And what's interesting about that is that's that's sort of changed since the since last year. So before the coronavirus sell-off, the average stock wasn't that expensive, but the market cap weighted indexes were very expensive. So what happened in the, in the aftermath of the coronavirus is your average stock has been doing much better. So now the market cap weighted indexes are very expensive and so is the average stock. So that, that's one interesting change since then. And then also I want to look behind the scenes maybe at some where, where are there some pockets of value despite the fact the market's expensive. And I want to particularly look at value stocks. Um, which were obviously very cheap at the coronavirus bottom, but have, have gotten more expensive. And so I looked at value stocks in two different ways. Um, one is on absolute basis, so just how expensive are they? And then one is on a relative basis relative to growth stocks. And on an absolute basis, the value stocks have gone from very, very cheap at the bottom to above average expensive. Now, you know, not the 99th percentile like the market, but above average expensive based on their history. And then on a relative basis, they remain pretty cheap. Um, you know, they were before the, you know, at the market bottom, they were probably in the 0.1 percentile, and now they're in the 5th to 10th percentile. So we've had a good run. They've gotten more expensive, but they still look relatively cheap relative to growth stocks. So those were just a few conclusions. I think it's interesting occasionally just to take a step back. I mean, although you can't use market valuation data to say anything about what's going to happen in the next year or the next three years, it's just occasionally it's good to take a step back and see where are we after we've had a run like this. Yeah, that, that was a good piece. And it, it's good to kind of look at these areas in the market and you can kind of dig down, you know, into these sub layers and try to see where, like you said, there's pockets of value relative to other parts. So there's a comparison feature here that you can compare like U.S. stocks versus, or let's say value stocks versus growth stocks or U.S. stocks versus international stocks. With our international stock universe, we're using ADRs only, which might be, you know, if you kind of think about equities and think about where they're where there are maybe some cheap valuations, you know, international stocks might be an interesting place for investors to look, but you could have made that argument probably five years ago um, too, so. Yeah, you know, the relative stuff, it, it's, it's a long-term type thing. So obviously the fact that international stocks are cheap or value stocks are cheap on a relative basis, you know, it doesn't tell you any, like I said before, it doesn't tell you anything about where they're gonna go in the next year or the next three years, but investors who, are, who truly have long-term time horizons, who are trying to look at maybe making tweaks to their portfolio or worried about the market being expensive, you know, those might be areas worth taking a look at. 
Um, what was our podcast this week? Yeah, to, well, to your point about um, where there's opportunity or expected future returns, um, we interviewed Jim Masturzo of Research Affiliates. Um, he is head of their multi-asset uh, class research there. Research Affiliates is obviously a major uh, investment research firm and sub-advises sub on tens of billions of dollars in assets. Um, Jim was or played a key role in the development of their asset allocation interactive tool, which is where you can go in on all these different asset allocations and look at what the future expected returns might be. And he, in the podcast, explained what their methodology is for estimating those future expected returns. But um, we talked about how the 60-40 might not you know, come anywhere close to returning what it's in the future, returning anywhere close to what it's returned in the past, just given where uh, rates are and given where stock are in terms of valuations. Um, he shared his thoughts on inflation. Um, he talked about, you know, you know, constructing or building asset allocation por portfolios and how investors might use the tool that they've created. And then we kind of touched on Bitcoin a little bit and just talked about that as a you know, potential you know, asset class. What would go into them considering uh, cryptocurrencies as a potential asset class. So, so that was a good discussion. You know, a lot of our talk, a lot of our talks are around sort of bottoms up types type stuff in terms of factors and value investing and stuff like that. But you know, what was cool about the conversation with Jim is was much more top down. You know, starting with asset allocation and then kind of going from there. Yeah, and this is a really interesting time to be looking at sort of multi asset investing because investors have been spoiled by the 60-40 portfolio. It's done so well in the past decade that you know people are expecting returns that are probably not what is going to happen in the future. And so there's just some interesting things to think about around, you know, should there be other assets in a portfolio right now? Should you have inflation protection? There, there's just a lot of things to think about. And we, and we talked a lot about uh, many of those things with Jim. What was the article that stood out most to you this week? Um, we had an article, it, it was titled, History Says Big Tech Stocks Could Fall. And it's interesting because I think that's an interesting topic to talk about because people always... You know, there's always been these periods in history where you've had these these large stocks that have really gone up a lot, that have dominated the market. The Nifty Fifty is another example of that, and they were sort of using that Nifty Fifty example to say the same thing could happen here, and that's probably true. You know, the same thing is likely going to happen here. I mean, if you if you look historically, any time you've had this large, you know, this group of companies come to dominate the market and have a huge run, eventually that run comes to an end. So I think that's you know the comparisons to the Nifty Fifty. The, the Nifty Fifty were great brand name companies. They got very expensive eventually the run ended. So I think that's a good comparison. But the flip side of that is there's no way to time this at all. And so for an average investor, there's really nothing you can do about that. So you can't say, all right, you know, the, the FANG stocks are very expensive, so I'm going to do something about it and, and I'm going to profit from that decision because you don't know how long that's going to run. And so it's, it's one of those, it's like the story where you know the ending to it, but you can't actually do anything to, to stop that ending and, or you can't do anything to, you know, to profit from it. And so it's, it's interesting to me to, it's good to learn from history and to look back at things like the Nifty 50, but you don't just want to learn the fact that those stocks went down a lot. It's also, you want to learn, well, what could, if I was sitting there at the time, what could I have done about it? So I think that's just an interesting thing to think about right now, because we're, we're in another one of those periods where the, you know, large stocks have dominated the market. You know, it's kind of weird. I was thinking about the current environment and how a lot of investors are sort of suggesting or sensing that, you know, there could be higher inflation down the road. You're seeing it in, you know, a lot of commodity prices, whether it's transitory or not. I mean, we don't know. Um, but, and then I was thinking of this thing with the, the pipeline and how you have gas shortages, shortages. And then I was thinking about like the, the, 
the dominance of these tech companies. And, there, you know, in some weird way, it was like paralleling. And I wasn't investing in the late 70s, in the mid to late 70s and to the late 70s. But you can kind of draw some parallels here in, in a lot of ways. Um, the 70s were really, you know, bad year for, or excuse me, bad decade for for stocks. Um, you had a really bad bear market in 73, I think, to like 74. And then, you know, as you came into the late 70s, you had super high inflation. So, you know, knock on wood, we don't get any environment like that. But I think there, there's cer certain parallels that you can kind of start drawing here, which kind of would be worrisome. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. There are a couple of things in the 70s. You know, one is for those of us that most people working in the investment management industry now never saw, didn't work in the investment management industry in the 70s. So, you know, that is a risk. The whole risk of inflation and the fact that none of us have seen it in our investing careers is certainly a risk. But the flip side of that is, you know, it doesn't seem like, you know, where we are right now that anything near the levels of the inflation of the 70s is, is really something that's on the table, at least for a long period of time. So, you know, it's important to learn about, learn from it in terms of what happens if we have a period of inflation, but it's also important to understand, you know, we're probably not gonna have that kind of, you know, level of inflation. What was your article this week? So it was an article by Morningstar. And speaking of like the 70s and sort of 80s, we weren't talking about the 80s, but it was an article from Morningstar that was, um, highlighting uh, an interview, a television interview that Warren Buffett had given that was kind of the first time he really described candidly some of the most important rules and principles um, that he had as an investor. And just going back to the 70s for a minute, you know, I, I know from looking at Berkshire's returns over time, which he always reports the annual returns of Berkshire Hathaway going all the way back to 1965 in the uh, annual report on page two, um, Buffett did extremely well in the late 70s. So there was there was certainly opportunities in the markets, even though the Nifty 50 was falling apart. I think if you were a value investor and if you had some of these principles that I'm gonna outline in a second that Buffett was describing um, back in 85, you know, you probably could have done you could have done really well. So sort of the main takeaways, and honestly, I think this is just pulled right out of Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor, which as we know was hugely influential uh, for Buffett in his early investing days. So number one was uh, margin of safety. So you want to find things that trade at a discount that will protect you from any mistake you may make when assessing the intrinsic value of the business. Um, that was important to very important to Graham and certainly important to Buffett in the early days. You had to have a stable personality. So, you know, you had to be able to control your emotions and the temper temperament. And, you know, you had to be, it's, it's, it's not whether you're wrong. He, he, Here's a quote he said, he explains, you're not right or wrong because a thousand people agree or disagree with you. You are right because your facts and your reasoning are right. So you have to kind of believe in your, in your own beliefs enough, even if the market's going against you, to probably stick to your guns and stay committed and have conviction. Um, use the stock market wisely. So there he was basically saying, I don't have to make money at every game. You can sit here and look at thousands of pitches and finally get the right one where you want something that you understand and then you swing. So we know that with Buffett, he'll be patient and he'll wait for that fast pitch to come in. And then lastly, understand your circle of competence. So, you know, just don't go outside of what you don't know. Um, for Buffett, that meant, you know, if you were interested in a stock, interested in a company, you want to read the annual report, you want to read books about the industry, and you want to sort of like immerse yourself in what that business does and the profit drivers of the business. And if you can understand that, you know you have a you have a circle of comp you have a circle of competence in that um, specific um, company. So that was mine for the week. What's, what's interesting about Buffett is his ability to be consistent throughout all these years, but also to change. So, you know, it was interesting you unearthed like this, this stuff from like a long time ago. He could have just as easily said a lot of that stuff today. 
you know, so his principles have really retain, remained the same. But within those principles, within that framework, he's gone from, you know, being a deeper value investor to being more of a high quality type guy, you know, buy high quality companies at a reasonable price to now being able to invest in technology companies. So he's maintained like that overriding principle, those overriding principles that have guided him. But he's also been able to turn, you know, to migrate as, as the market has changed, he's been able to change what he's actually doing within those principles. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like his philosophy has kind of stayed the same, but the process has been different. And that's one thing we, when we talked with uh, Lawrence Cunningham about Buffett, you know, his ability to, I think like the reading is probably a big thing, like understanding business history and changes in our economy over time and having that view starting in 1965 and seeing how things have changed. You know, I think Buffett has probably been able to remarkably, um, you know, change his investment process with it. And certainly that's been a good thing for him. So anyways, um, we hope you guys enjoyed this discussion and we will see you next week. Thank you. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital.